0: Over the Bahamas forms Tropical Depression 12, a swirling band of wind and rain. It picks up moisture and heat and with them speed. As its winds reach 39 miles per hour, it becomes a tropical storm and is given a name. Between along the coast of Florida, a hurricane warning is announced by to safeguard their property as the governors of Louisiana and Mississippi declare states of emergency. City officials urge those who can to evacuate. Traffic jams snarl the highways. As up to 18,000, it's 140 mile an hour winds pummel the coasts of Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama's in shambles. It is left without power, without drinking water. Many residents are stranded on rooftops. When natural disasters as devastating as Hurricane Katrina strike, it's impossible not to feel helpless. What if it had happened to you, your home, your community, No one did anything wrong. The extreme weather simply wiped out everything in its path. Sometimes it's floods, fires, winds, and other storms on an apocalyptic level. Maybe if you're able to help, that's exactly what you do. Some vendors may offer money, gear, and services. Companies like Microsoft can easily contribute a million dollars without feeling a thing. And citizens have, at times, donated so many goods like diapers that cities have called off the need for donating any further. The outpouring of support towards Hurricane Katrina victims in 2005 was an incredible thing to watch in real time. NPR said that Americans were generously contributing to relief efforts, reaching well over a billion dollars in funding. In more recent years and with more recent disasters, news outlets don't just report on the donations given either, but they tell you the best way to help and list resources available to those that want to support these communities in need day I brought back personal hygiene products. And the other day it was towels and sheets and pillows. And the day before that it was water. And it's really amazing the people we can reach and the sheer amount of money that pours in to help our fellow man, right? Unfortunately though, if there is money to be had, then that means that there are scams to be had too. And even fires and floods are no exception. While we might hope that every penny donated goes to those that need it most, the rich continue to get richer even in the wake of tragedy. And on today's episode of The Corporate Casket, I want to talk about the financial aftermath of a natural disaster, and the very different kind of disaster that happens behind the scenes. At some point, I will make a major donation. So far, only about 3% of historic properties have been searched This is Keisha and her daughter, Ava, and, and they're a month apart, sure. so lost donations They lost their, their land. home. At I mean, a donation off site where many evacuees are gathering it's a, are you know. it's a city where contracts are awarded based upon what you can do and not who you know. Displaced any more than we already have been. We're all hurt, we're all grieving. A you lot know, of our hearts were here and it's now completely gone. But we're still here. We have to keep it that way. experts say financial donations are what really helps rebuild. In fact, Denver 7's Colette Bordelon explains, too many donations piling up often creates what's known as the second disaster. Now, before I can even dive into specific disasters and the harm that's been done in each one, let's take a look at how the rich actually get richer during times of tragedy in the first place. Lucky for us, the New Republic has a fantastic article about exactly this. Hell, there's even an entire book about this by John C. Mutter, but we're going to work with an abridged version today. First and foremost, disasters don't seem to target rich people. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, just seriously, have you? When we look at footage of floods and fires and tornadoes, how often do you see mansions getting washed away? I'd hazard a guess that this is rarely the case and there's a reason for it. It's not because wind and rain has a mind of its own. And no, it's not because the rich can afford to pay off the clouds or you know some crazy conspiracy like that. This actually has to do more with inequalities of information. For example, there is only some seismologist in Haiti, as Mutter points out. I'm not saying that scientists studying volcanoes should go jump in one for research sake, but this means that the information about dangerous locations isn't always getting to the people that actually live there. It doesn't do people in Haiti any good if a scientist in DC knows all about their earthquake patterns unless that researcher is then channeling that information to proper avenues, you know what I mean? Secondly, the blunt fact of the matter is that the rich can rebuild quicker. I'm sure that surprises absolutely no one. Cheaper homes get destroyed easier and richer people can pay for builders to fix whatever damage occurs. But how would this make anyone richer? Well, we'll get into some specific examples in just a moment, but effectively, all you have to do is follow the money. When donations go to building companies that aren't truly held accountable for actually rebuilding homes for those who, you know, actually need it, it's safe to say that the executives of said companies are the ones actually benefiting. Rebuilding with donation money is profitable, even more so if you take the money and stuff it into your own pockets. This might not be quite as insulting and ridiculous if it weren't for the fact that even in recovery efforts, white people and middle-class individuals are more likely to have rebuilt their lives than black people with lower incomes. After Hurricane Katrina, it was called the tale of two recoveries. And as recently as 2021, the New York Times has published articles about how disaster aid favors white people. Quote, Roy Vassin and Charlotte Biagas lived in a modest one-story home about a dozen miles apart in Southwest Louisiana. When Hurricane Laura tore through their community last August, the damage was nearly identical. A tree crashed through the roof of each house. Neither had insurance. Each sought help from the federal government. At that point, their stories diverged. The Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, initially gave Mr. Vassin $17,000 in assistance. Ms. Biagas and her husband, Norman, got $7,000. Their situations are different in another respect. Mr. Vaucine is white, Charlotte and Norman Biagas are black. Why does something like this continue to happen? Why have we done nothing about it? Unfortunately, research does show that despite the same or similar amounts of damage, FEMA treats white folks and people of color very differently. And I shouldn't be surprised, but I am still disappointed, just to put it mildly. But let's take a look at how this has played out in a variety of disasters and how extreme it has become. We'll go ahead and start with one of the worst, Hurricane Katrina. When communities are rebuilt, they must be even better and stronger than before the storm. Within the Gulf region are some of the most beautiful and historic places in America. As all of us saw on television, there's also some deep persistent poverty in this region as well. As the New Yorker put it, Hurricane Katrina wasn't really a natural disaster. At least, the way it was handled and the way people were treated sure as hell weren't natural. Decades of bad policy truly brought this from a hurricane into a hellhole. According to Nicholas Lemon's article, New Orleans should be one of America's most prosperous cities based on geography alone. It's the natural port for the vast interior of the country, and in its immediate vicinity are many natural resources like rich soil, cotton, sulfur, and sugarcane. Again, it should be wealthy, but the deep racial divides and the whole half the city being below sea level part has really kept it from happening. And while many of us may see Katrina as an external attack or you know a force of nature, there's so much more to it than just that. For starters, the state government in Louisiana once financed itself from taking oil companies in the area. In the 1950s, these taxes were restricted and the state quote, has never successfully developed another way of paying for a competent government. The oil companies also created a massive loss of land, paving the way for, you know, hurricanes. No, for the record, oil companies didn't make the hurricanes but they sure made the area far more vulnerable to them. Then more and more houses without adequate flood protection were built, quote, a combination of civic boosterism and excessive faith in engineered water control systems led New Orleans to keep reclaiming swampland for housing, building canal systems for commercial ship traffic, and dredging spillways that were supposed to draw flood water away from the city when the need arose. Now these systems had failed in the past, by the way, this wasn't the first time it happened. 1965's Hurricane Betsy relocated over a quarter of a million people when it struck. And while people were given financial aid, these systems for water control weren't really changed. Sure, you can hand people money and that's a great temporary solution, but it does absolutely nothing for people in the future. To be absolutely clear, I'm not trying to say that this entire disaster could have been mitigated. That's, I don't think that's true. Even with the best preparation out there, Hurricane Katrina still would have been able to do some intense damage. But some people died purely because they couldn't afford to leave and there's nothing unpreventable about that. As NPR said, many Katrina victims were elderly and black. They didn't have a chance to get out. In fact, over 60% of the victims were elderly and more than 40% were black. The poorest neighborhoods also had the largest body counts. And while it's true that some wealthy neighborhoods were also affected, the people that stayed behind seemed to do so because they didn't want to leave their homes. It was a choice and not a frustrating, deadly fact. Plus, even those that could leave weren't even given much time to do so. Louisiana Governor Kathleen Blanco declared a state of emergency just one day before the White House did and three days before the storm made landfall. She pled for air while President Bush at the time, quote, vacationed in Texas, here's quote. At one point, the Louisiana National Guard asked FEMA for 700 buses, but days later, the agency sent only 100 and it took a week to evacuate flood survivors. FEMA fell short the president fell short, preparations fell short. The point here is that while Hurricane Katrina was a natural disaster, it wasn't a completely unpreventable one. More could have been done to try and keep the damage to a minimum, but instead it seemed that the worst happened to New Orleans and whatever Hurricane Katrina could destroy, it did. But this is just one of the ways in which the poor got poorer before and during the hurricane. But what about after? How far was this inequality stretched? Ray Nagan, the New Orleans mayor during Hurricane Katrina has been indicted by a federal grand jury on 21 corruption charges. Those counts include wire fraud, bribery, and money laundering. Hurricane Katrina flooded out a lot of people, but the largest wiped out areas tended to be backed by government-backed lending programs. The dynamic of recovery itself was all about race. And unfortunately, that goes hand in hand with wealth too. Hello, hello, can I come in? This city will be chocolate at the end of the day. I think the opportunity is presented- The mayor, Ray Nagin, who was later convicted of taking bribes from city contractors, appointed a committee that straight up planned to not rebuild some of the flooded black neighborhoods. Quote, a series of measures that would have provided enough relief to rebuild New Orleans completely either wasn't enacted or proceeded at the leisurely pace that is customary in Louisiana. New Orleans has a large racial gap in resources. The black poverty rate is triple the white poverty rate. So whites were able to move back more quickly and with less hardship. For a decade after Katrina, New Orleans was a whiter city than it had been before. Between this and the Mississippi River flooding in 1927, you'd think that the flood walls keeping the city safe would have been better monitored. Instead, rumors that flood wall breaches aren't an accident have gained traction and evidence of this has actually spread in recent years too. Whether or not there are people that want New Orleans to be white again, there are certainly those that seem intent on making it nearly impossible for black folks and lower income folks to recover from these disasters. Five years later, those well off before the storm were far more likely to be back to their jobs and homes, whereas the opposite was true for anyone struggling to get by. The poor stay poor basically, and the rich have an opportunity to recover. Low cost apartments that may not have been built to last were simply destroyed leaving the population with New York rents on New Orleans wages. And this didn't just happen for apartments either. Charity hospital, housing projects, and the school systems were all replaced with smaller, privatized, gentrified alternatives. You're not really helping a community if when their large public hospital gets totally wiped out and you replace it with a small private one, you know what I mean? Again, it keeps the poor poor and makes the rich richer. I'm not saying that you can't build these things at all, but it doesn't replace what was once there either. It only serves to push out people that can't afford it. And this isn't actually helping people as much as it is a, quote, racial recalibration. Andy Horowitz, a historian at Tulane University who wrote about Hurricane Katrina put it this way, quote, "'What came to be known as New Orleans recovery "'involved a decision to evict people from their homes "'in the face of a homelessness crisis a decision to close the hospital in the midst of an epidemic of suicide and a decision to help children by firing their parents. This was truly one of the worst times to ever gentrify. I know that gentrification in of itself is a really controversial topic. People want their Starbucks and their cute coffee shops, but if it's removing low cost alternatives and other means from lower income neighborhoods, then I don't know if it's really worth it to remove or replace a resource. But in this case, after Katrina, it was so much worse than that. People had their apartments, their businesses, literally everything, entire communities torn to shreds and washed away in the waves. Then they're supposed to, like what exactly? Come home to a place that they not only can't afford now, but don't even recognize? The public hospital, now private. The school is upside down. The low-income housing is now apparently for middle-class folks. It reminds me of the build back better line that we hear when rebuilding from natural disasters. The United Nations website has actually mentioned this and specified that it's important to qualify what we mean by better in the first place. Higher standards of safety, yes, absolutely. But privatized, that's not always better, at least not for everyone. This gentrification of New Orleans pushed poor people and people of color out of the city entirely. It's no wonder that people still haven't fully recovered because they've never really been given a chance to even do so. And I cannot imagine how frustrating that must be to simply have everything stripped away and be told to start over from scratch, no matter how much you've built. Losing one resource is bad enough, but losing them all at once, that's insane. To this day, Hurricane Katrina remains a very sore spot, a very, very significant area of pain for many. More than a decade after the storm, there were 134,000 fewer residents 39,000 fewer housing units, and 2,000 fewer businesses. Some of this is inevitable, but not all of it. Better preparation and a better response could have easily given so many people their lives back, but instead, the wealthy were prioritized over those in need. That's why this disaster wasn't entirely natural. But what about other storms? And why does this keep happening? Just days after losing his home, Sean Sarabay says he received about eight calls asking if he was interested in selling his property. Maybe you would hope that over time we would get better at handling natural disasters with our responses. While Hurricane Katrina certainly is not the only example of the rich getting richer and poor getting poorer phase, we have brought a lot more awareness to these types of situations in recent years. Unfortunately, and even very recently, the rich have effectively monetized disaster and tragedy. One way in which this happens is through disaster vultures detailed in Insider's recent article written by Anthony DeMauro. After the horrible fires and loss of life, locals are stricken with grief and trying to figure out how exactly to move forward. I've talked about how this is a great opportunity for scams and bad faith actors to swoop in because people are at their most vulnerable. Some unethical funeral homes, knowing how difficult the process is, overcharge and misrepresent themselves to grieving family members, for example. In this case, investors are able to do the exact same thing. They offer to buy cheap land and what little property remains, then resell the properties when the effects of the disaster wear off. Obviously, right now the homes in Maui may not be worth much. Some may have burned damage, the communities are empty, the yard is simply ash, and some of the homes may not even exist anymore, really. Yet these houses were once worth millions of dollars and investors know that. So they'll offer these displaced residents a fraction of the value to take it off their hands, knowing that the family is desperate and they'll hold on to that property until it's time to rebuild. Now, while this is totally legal, I think it's shitty and predatory and it's not uncommon in the slightest either, Quote, the Hawaiian fires aren't the first time investors have trotted out this playbook. Every time disaster strikes, the vultures come calling. When tornadoes struck Tennessee in 2020, destroying 771 businesses and residences, the Nashville Metro Council passed a resolution against predatory developers targeting residents who had lost their homes and offering to purchase plots for sub-market rates. Hurricane Ian, which struck Florida last fall, also saw developers swarm vulnerable families, hoping to snap up destroyed properties for cheap. Just for the record, this isn't TLC, okay? Like there is, Sure, there's a time for flipping houses if you're into that. And I just think that right after a tornado or a hurricane or a fire just isn't that time. Of course, this isn't the only wealth-related controversy we've seen in Maui. Oprah Winfrey and Dwayne The Rock Johnson also saw backlash when they started a fund to help those affected by the Maui fires. They donated a combined $10 million and encouraged the public to do the same. For whatever it's worth, I don't think that either of them had any negative intentions by doing this but it did give the same energy as when Gal Gadot and a bunch of other tone deaf celebrities sang imagine because they were holed up in their mansions during quarantine. I mean, yes, it is totally amazing that Oprah and The Rock donated $10 million, but why not ask your rich celebrity friends to help too? The public at large is quite literally drowning in inflation and having to choose between paying certain bills and getting groceries for the week but apparently we all need to get together and sing the praises because Oprah and The Rock just found a new tax break for themselves, right? Now, others have said that if Oprah really wanted to help, then she should give back all the land that she purchased in Hawaii and give it back to the native people there, quote. Another added that the land she bought was illegally sold because it is illegally occupied, a reference to the history of the US government's colonization of the islands of Hawaii. Now, you could make the argument that literally anyone living in the US who isn't Native American should leave too, considering this entire country is, you know, technically stolen. So while I do understand that the idea of billionaires effectively buying a beautiful island property because it's so pretty and not caring about the history is really gross and weird, that's also kind of the US's history, too. Again, I don't think the intent by any celebrity was negative in this situation. It truly is good that they gave money to help those that needed it. The point here is simply that once again, the rich get tax breaks and may be bummed out if their fourth or fifth million dollar home gets damaged while those affected by these horrific events may not even have a place to sleep. I'm glad that the uber wealthy can afford to toss money at a problem so easily like this, but real help is often done by systems that bother to change for the better. Ours simply doesn't do that. For now, aid is coming from those opening their homes, ensuring victims have access to resources and a good home cooked meal, you know? But Hawaii and Katrina still aren't the only examples, and we still haven't even covered all the ways in which the rich prosper during times of tragedy. Here's what really sucks the uber wealthy cause climate disasters, and the uber wealthy can escape them unscathed. I mean, Think of that, these extremely uber wealthy people like Jeff Bezos with their massive yachts and private jets and all that, they contribute to pollution far more than an average person. The CEOs of oil companies, those that advocate for fossil fuels and all that shit, the people at the very top profiting from pollution are also the ones that are able to completely escape the consequences of their actions while the rest of us suffer in it. The wealthy have basically made themselves immune to disasters. According to LA Magazine, this goes deeper than being able to afford to rebuild, but it starts with having the best evacuation plans and a private army of first responders. Waiting in traffic to make it out of the city, not happening. You remember that viral video of a family driving through the California wildfires? Heavenly Father, please help us. It looked like driving through literal hell, but are the Kardashians doing that? Absolutely not. They've got a private jet, private firefighters, quote, With premiums that can reach an additional $8,000 a year, wildfire defense services pay for firefighters who use their own equipment to spray water and fire retardant gel to supplement the work of public first responders. And of course, the private crews will return to remove the gel from homes that survive," end quote. If I had as much money as the Kardashians did and I lived in an area that had frequent fires, yeah, absolutely, I'd be paying for that kind of protection. But it's messed up that the public doesn't have access to it money provides an extra layer of safety and clearly natural disasters are no different. The head of an investment firm even told The New Yorker that he keeps a helicopter gassed up at all times and he has a state-of-the-art underground bunker with an air filtration system. Oh, and apparently when bunkers aren't in use, they make terrific storage facilities for art collections and vintage cars. What an absolutely dystopian world we live in. If something horrific happens, The rich can run into their basements and find solace and safety among their prized possessions while the poors can deal with it. Yep, but being kept safe is a right, supposedly. Again, I'm not surprised by this, but the more you think about it, the more fucked up it is, especially considering the impact that rich people and businesses have on climate change compared to the everyday person. As futurism so bluntly put it, climate apartheid is upon us and only the rich will survive. The richest 10% of the global population is responsible for half of greenhouse gas emissions, but the poorest people, those that contribute the least to emissions will suffer the most. I am willing to bet all that I have on this. If rich people actually suffered the consequences of their own actions, we would see a lot more green sustainable solutions out there. Seriously, if the heads of big oil were stuck driving out of these fires, having their homes wiped away by floods and had some of the worst effects of climate change dumped on their heads, I think we'd live in a different world than we do today. Little kids are taught to deal with the consequences of their actions, but in the world we live in, rich people don't have to. The truly obscenely wealthy can pass those off to the lower class with no repercussions. They can afford to avoid the problem the United Nations has said the same thing, writing that, quote, the poor also suffer disproportionately from the loss of economic assets. Natural disasters destroy farms, livestock, workshops, and equipment. Families may be forced to sell off assets to meet basic needs. Rural families in drought-stricken regions often sell cattle to purchase food. Because the poor are less able to replace these income-providing assets, they may fall into long-term poverty traps from which they would be unable to emerge. Evidence from around the world, from the Philippines to Ethiopia to Colombia, shows that poverty rates among disaster-affected communities often increase." End quote. Keep in mind, this doesn't only harm people for a few weeks, months, or even a few years after a devastating natural disaster but this can create a domino effect that spans generations. Parents might pull kids from school so they work to help the family. Without education, they can't afford to get a high-paying job, and so the cycle of poverty continues. So again, I say don't tax the rich, don't eat the rich, fuck the rich with the biggest cactus you can find. Hello, hello, can I come in? This city will be chocolate at the end of the day. I think the opportunity is presenting itself for me uh, to kind of go down in history as the, the mayor that guided the city of New Orleans through an incredible rebuild cycle. It's a city where contracts are awarded based upon what you can do and not who you know.